in godly play, <laughs> thanks for laughing, in godly play we say, once there was someone who did such wonderful things and said such amazing things that people had to follow him. And when they followed him, uh, they, they kind of had to ask him who he was. And so one time he said, I am the light of the world. So we light the candle to remember that Christ's light is with us. So throughout the season of Lent, we have heard a lot from the prophets, some of them. Uh, we've heard from Nicole, who talked about Hosea's infidelity and idolatry, the infidelity and idolatry of the people of Israel, and Yahweh's promise of future restoration. Yahweh is not a tyrant. Yahweh offers freedom and an invitation to love and to be loved. Joining the life which sows faithfulness and reaps justice, God joins life together. Nicole encouraged us to dive into this life of love. She said we might even need to start dancing. But why? Josh invited us to remember God's call in Micah to be like prophets, to cry, to wail, to mourn out about the injustice in our world, to energize people, to lead with both our voices and our actions, to grow in wisdom and courage regardless of our age. Sonia brought the word from the prophet Amos. She reminded us of the God who will reconcile all things to God's self, and God will never let go of her people. With this in mind, we were encouraged to look at our own lives and to consider our values and expectations for our lives. What does my life look like right now, and what do I expect that it will become? Does it have something to do with God, or does it just have something to do with what I can do for myself? What values are evident in my life, and how do I or we expect our life to change or not change? <laughs> For those who were not at the retreat, we were blessed to hear from Tiffany about Jonah, a man whose journey was fraught with mistake after mistake after mistake, even after being in the belly of a whale for three days, which I cannot even begin to imagine. He kept making mistakes. Yes, Jonah had some issues, and Jonah taught us about who we are and who God is. Jonah, in his faithfulness, was able to bring very evil people to repentance. And even once they'd repented and weren't evil anymore, it was as if he hated them for it. He didn't have any reason to say that he was better than them anymore, and he wallowed in that fact. Then last week we had a very empowering and powerful word from Marcos, which I'm, I'd love to like be like Marcos. I'm not Marcos. That was so good. He encouraged, he encouraged us to offer our holy indignation to Yahweh and to listen for God's judgments. He shared with us that the rules of the tyrant, the rules of the empire, wealth, security, violence, exceptionalism, and idolatry will only lead to death and destruction. There's nothing else that those lead to. It's death and it's destruction. And that's the way of the world that we live in. He reminded us that sometimes we can only consider hope through hopelessness. And when justice and compassion are on vacation, it's hard to hope. 
in the stories of the repressed of the oppressed in Habakkuk, we see an insurrectionist protesting rebellious hope that recognizes that the way things are is not the way that things have to be. In the midst of these oppressive factors, he invited us to not just intellectualize injustice, but to praise God and to sing, because God is the God of justice, not injustice. And so today, we find ourselves in Malachi. Unlike some of our prophetic voices that we've heard, we don't really know who this person is. Um, Malachi comes like maybe 100, 150 years after Zechariah. Malachi isn't a proper name. It is now, but it didn't used to be a proper name for anyone. It just means my messenger. It could literally be anyone. Um, but who it is is somebody who knows who God is. It's somebody who is a part of the people of Israel. This person isn't just a messenger from outside. This person knows the laws of Israel. This person knows the rules and the love of God. This person knows and seeks the justice of God. And this person also knows Israel. Usually there's an introduction about the word of the, the, word of the Lord being to the prophet, or like to uh, concerning Israel. And this is, this, is, this is totally different. Malachi is an oracle, which is a word, of the prophet. No, no, sorry. Yeah, Malachi is different. It's just an oracle. It's just a word. It says this is an oracle. Here's a word to Israel by Malachi. Who's no one? Who is my messenger? So Israel's like, what do we have to listen to this guy for? And if you look at commentaries and stuff, people don't like to talk about Malachi because Malachi is like, oh, it's like uh, not that important. Um, so I get to talk about Malachi. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Um, no, there are four very short chapters in Malachi that function as an epilogue. Who knows what an epilogue is? Oh, we are so smart. Well, in case you didn't know what an epilogue was, I looked it up on Google, because um, I didn't have a ready definition either. Um, an epilogue is a section or speech at the end of a book or play that serves as a comment or a conclusion in regard to what has happened. So Malachi is a comment at the end, not just of the minor prophets, not just of all the prophets or the wisdom literature, the Psalms and the Proverbs. Malachi is a comment on the end of the whole story of the Old Testament, the people of Israel. And what does Malachi say? A lot of things. I left my Bible over there, so I didn't write a lot down, sorry. <laughs> Go home and read Malachi. Who read Malachi this week? <laughs> I read Malachi this week. <laughs> if you have your Bible, you can open it now and read it. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> one, one of the things that, that, um, that I was going to preface with is, is you're probably wondering what this orange circle is about. Yeah, like who died or like what weird organism? Do, no. Um, is, is it a hug? For the communion table? No. Yes. No, it's a hug. No, um, so one of the things that we've talked a lot about in Lent, and don't worry, this will make sense in a minute in Malachi, maybe. Um, in Lent, we've talked about, and in our prayers, we've, we've ended the prayer with a confession and a petition, which what has the petition been? 
Anybody remember? At the end of like all of our prayers of confession, there's something everybody says together. Forgive us, sinners. And then what's the response? God forgives. Um, the story of Malachi is a story that says God forgives. I need some water. <laughs> um, the people of Israel, as we've learned in all of the prophets, make a lot of mistakes. Like Jonah, even the prophets make mistakes. Um, but the people make mistakes too. And in Malachi... The messenger tells the people a few things about who God is and about who they are and their relationship together. The first thing that the messenger says is God loves you. Yahweh says, I have loved you, Jacob. And Jacob is like, for the Jews, for the Israelites, they know that Jacob is our father, like father. Like, like George Washington is our father, you know? Um, some of us. Um, Jacob, for the people of Israel, no, I'm just kidding, we're all Americans, and George Washington is one of the founding fathers, and so that's the language that we use to describe these people who gave us the story that we have today. For the Israelites, Jacob and Abraham and Isaac gave them their story. God is the God of Jacob, and all of the Israelites are the people of Jacob, and God says, I have loved you, and I have hated other people. And look, somehow, the rest of the world loves me. Malachi's like, the nations love Yahweh. This is weird. Yahweh like, has never been an important God in the history of the world. And somehow, in our book today, the nations love Yahweh. They're like, there's something special here. They see that. And yet, the Israelites have forgotten the people have failed Yahweh, but who and how? First, Malachi says, the priests, your pastors, your religious leaders, they basically have failed to keep their covenant. They've brought sacrifices that are sick, that are blind, that are contaminated. And these sacrifices that are supposed to purify the people have not purified the people. These contaminated sacrifices have made them unclean. They've contaminated the people, at least in the way that the sacrificial story works. But really, God is saying the priests are the ones who are contaminated. You, religious leaders, who, don't, who aren't doing what you're supposed to be doing, you know the rules, and you're not following them. You've gotten lazy. Or the people before you got lazy, and they taught you to, believe, to be lazy. So even though you can go back and read, you can make all these excuses for why, why we do things the way we do things. So your contaminated sacrifices are contaminating you. He has this really gross image that, like, since the confirmation kids are with us, I wasn't going to say anything about it, and then I thought, no, this is, like, really important. Um, Malachi says, no, it's okay, Leah, I promise. Malachi just says that I'm going to take the intestinal, um, what's the word, debris from your sacrifices and rub it in your faces and rub it in your children's faces just so you know it stinks. So you can see that this thing 
it's not a good thing. You <laughs> nailed me like that. Funny, right? <laughs> it's gross. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, this is an image. We talk about the images in the prophets and how they help us see the, the dirtiness of the people. This is one of those images that you can't get away from, taking the refuse of the sacrifices and rubbing it in the faces of the people to say, this is not what I want. How much clearer does it get? This is a threat. Um, I will do this. The problem, the most fundamental problem for the messenger, though, is that the pastors and religious leaders and priests are pledging a good thing, but what they offer is inferior. This reminds me of Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Like Sonia said the other day, it is better to not care than to pretend to care. So again, the sacrifices themselves are not the actual problem. I mean, they are a problem, but they're more a symptom of a much bigger problem. Um, Malachi also says, it's not just the priests. <laughs> the rest of you aren't all off the hook. It's the judges. The judges, the people who are supposed to be in charge of maintaining law and order and rightness in society. <clears throat> you guys, you're also wrong. You're supposed to know when the priests are offering bad sacrifices and tell them. Keep them accountable. You should know what is good and what is bad. So even more so, this is a serious problem. Disintegration in all of society. People, um, people are becoming impure because the leaders are, themselves are impure and letting this impurity continue for whatever reason. Malachi doesn't say why. So this is really hopeful, huh? Um, the Levites are charged with keeping the covenant of well-being. God's shalom. Does anybody know what shalom means? Remember? Thank you. Peace. So when we pass the peace of Christ, it's like we pass the shalom of God. It's something that you can't do by yourself. You can't just be in a vacuum, as we say and have shalom. It doesn't work like that. It's not just me and God. Your shalom is connected to all of the people that are in your society. And Malachi says, shalom in Israel is missing. Your tithes are not what God has asked for. Your leaders aren't leading the way that God has taught them to lead. You have a whole story of knowing God, of being with God, and you've forgotten. Israel has forsaken the wife of his youth. In Hosea, God is the husband, the jealous husband, and Israel is the prostituting wife, or the whore wife. And in, in Malachi, it's, it's a different story. Israel is the man who has been adulterous, who has forsaken the wife of his youth for someone better. And God, Yahweh, is the wife. And she says, I hate divorce. I don't want to be divorced. It's, it's a really big part of the book of Malachi where God proclaims, exclaims, I don't like this. I don't want to be divorced from you, but your actions have basically functioned in a way that have separated you from me. This is a long history of Israel forgetting his wife and leaving her for someone who he thinks is better. But, God says, return to me, 
and I will return to you. God wants the people to be reconciled. And God says, you know what you have to do. You've forgotten to give the right sacrifices. Your tithes haven't been right. So there's this whole commentary like, most of the sermons on Malachi are about tithing, like, give the church your money. And people have read Malachi wrong, I think, because it doesn't say give the church your money. It says you're giving the church your money. You're already giving the temple what it needs. The temple is fine, but your poor are not fine because there's this whole other tithe that's supposed to go to the poor. It doesn't go to the temple. It goes to the storehouses in local communities. It was supposed to go to the widows, the orphans, the aliens among you, Yahweh does not delight in evildoers. Yahweh does not delight in people who don't give to God what is already God's. So then God talks about like the fire of destruction and purification and the hot day of the Lord. Still talking to the priests and the judges. And then it, the voice changes. Um, the messenger starts talking to someone else, a much more general category, to those who fear the Lord. Basically, anybody who's left, listen. Yahweh says that the hot day of the, war, of the Lord will come, and all who do evil will be refined in the fire. All evil will be crushed. Praise God. This is a beautiful promise for those who fear the name of Yahweh. I guess for everyone else it doesn't sound as exciting because it means that we might be crushed. But what's interesting is the language there actually doesn't refer to bodies being crushed. It doesn't refer to people being crushed. It refers to evil being crushed. Amen? Amen. 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 There we go. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, it says, for those who fear the name of Yahweh, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Have you ever seen a video? I should have a video. I'm sorry. Have you seen like a video or have you been on a farm and seen like the calves when they're freed from their corrals and their barns? Some of you have. I see it in your faces. They're like, like so happy. It is, it's literally, and they're not, they're cows who, they're not really happy. Like I don't know what their, you know, cognitive capacity is. Warren could tell us. But they are happy. I don't know, like when I'm happy, I want to look like those happy cows. Um, amen. Yes. So the messenger says, the sun of righteousness will rise for those who fear Yahweh with healing in its wings. This is like a tear-jerkingly beautiful image because these are shepherds. These are people who have cattle. They know how happy these freaking cows are when they get freed. Um, so the story ends. This is the end of the story of Malachi. He talks about the priests and the Levites. He talks about the sacrifices that haven't been enough. And then the epilogue to the epilogue, right, is that Yahweh is going to send the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents, so that I will not strike the land with a curse. So there's all this talk about a curse. And then at the end, Yahweh's like, oh, but I love you so much. I love you so, 
so much. I just want you to hear me. I just want you to love me and receive my love. So the big concern that comes up again and again for me throughout Malachi, and this is my temptation, um, it, in our temptation in general, is, is, is to try to figure out who is properly religious and who is not. Malachi recognizes that shalom is not present. The welfare of the people is missing. And it has something to do with the people forsaking their holiness, bickering and complaining. They say, where is the God of justice? They ask again and again, and yet they've failed to notice that the shalom of God has been reduced to nothing more than a greeting. The real peace or the welfare of the people is missing, not because God has not intervened, but because the people have failed to act. In their post-exilic affluence, the people's imagination has become stifled, and they have forgotten that they are all a family, the poor and the rich, and that God's vision for God's people is so much bigger than anyone can imagine. Throughout the prophets, God continues to talk about this vision that's way beyond the people of Israel, that moves into the whole rest of the world. There's the people of Israel who are God's people. This is God's family. And then he says, I'm going to make my family bigger. <laughs> and it's going to be great. Because my kingdom is big enough for everyone. So the prophets tell the story of a people who are not reconciled to one another. And because they are not reconciled to one another, they are not reconciled to God. Jesus says something similar in his rebuke of Simon in Luke 7. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him, and after he entered the Pharisee's home, he took his place at the table. Meanwhile, a woman from the city, a sinner, discovered that Jesus was dining in the Pharisee's house. She, bought, she brought perfumed oil in a vase made of alabaster. Standing behind him at his feet and crying, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured oil on them. When the Pharisees who had invited Jesus saw what was happening, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him right now. He would know that she is a sinner. Jesus replied, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, speak, he said. A certain lender had two debtors. One owed enough money to pay 500 people for a day's work. The other owed enough money for 50. When they couldn't pay, the lender forgave the debts of them both. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the larger debt canceled. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? When I entered your home, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has poured perfume on my feet. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. This is why I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven, so she has shown great love. The one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
the other table guests began to say among themselves, who is this person that forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Some versions say your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So at the end, for those who fear the Lord, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And they will skip about like calves. They're just happy to be freed from their stalls. Um, so as we move through Lent and kind of move out of the prophets, moving into the story of the people who saw Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who knew Jesus, we get to learn what it means to be forgiven people and to move into knowing Jesus in new ways. That's the way Godly Play talks about it anyway. <laughs> um, so what does it mean for us to embrace the shalom of Yahweh and to be reconciled to our community? There are a lot of ways that we know how to do justice. We are smart people. We are educated people, some of us. And we work in justice work. And we touch people. And we love people. And sometimes people get healed. But for us, I wondered, what does it mean for us to be reconciled to one another? And we've talked about Matthew 18 a lot. And like when your brother sins against you. And remember, this is like in the family, right? Like we're a family here. And if you're new to our space, welcome to the family. We've talked a lot about Matthew 18 um, and what that means and maybe what it doesn't mean. Um, but so I thought since we're trying to figure out what that means, one practice is offering forgiveness. Um, and so I, the circle... <laughs> is for us to, to practice a forgiveness ritual together. Um, so I'm going to try to explain it. Oh, is, is that picture up there? This, this is Jesus and the woman. This was supposed to be up when I told the story, but I forgot about it. Um, I like that Jesus' face is green. I don't know if anybody else likes it. But so this is a woman who we would probably scoff at if she came into church, um, maybe in different ways, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> she has red hair. We got a lot of redheads. But um, <laughs> I see you. But um, oh, okay. Sorry. I thought there was like a song playing. I was like, I'm not ready to sing. <laughs> um, about something different. But so I thought I would invite us to practice this forgiveness ritual um, that I learned about from Jason. You can all thank Jason for this later. <laughs> See how I'm just schlep, just pushing the blame away? Um, you can forgive me later too, Jason. Um, <laughs> but so, so this is a ritual that the Greek Orthodox do um, every year at the beginning of the season of Lent. Uh, they don't do an Ash Wednesday service. They do a forgiveness and reconciliation ritual. And one of, the, one of the reasons is to recognize that Lent and the movement toward Holy Week is a movement toward... Baptism, if you haven't been baptized, and it's a movement to remembering our baptism if you have been baptized. So anybody can participate in this. Doesn't that make you happy? Um, and it's awkward, and it's beautiful, I think. So what we'll do, I wish Heather was here. Heather was going to help me explain this, and I think she didn't come because she didn't want to do it, so. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> She can listen to me say this later, and, like, she's going to curse a lot, and 
It's okay. And then she can forgive me. If Heather, you can forgive me. Um, this is great. I'm just assuming she's going to listen to this. Um, she may not. That's fine, too. Uh, so she's, she's just really good at the logistics. So that was one of the things that I thought would be helpful. Um, so Deborah's going to help me, and Zach is going to help me, and Peter's going to help me, because they were all there. And Josh, maybe? I don't know, man. He got himself hurt on purpose. <laughs> not yet. So, so what we're going to do is, is everybody's going to stand in, in this circle, and eventually we're going we're gonna to face one another. There will be a movement that I'm going to need help with from somebody else to describe a little bit better. And we believe that we were all made by God, yes? Amen? You were made in the image of God, amen? Amen! You were made in the image of God. Look to the person next to you and say, you were made in the image of God. Do it. Amen. <laughs> we, we, we believe that God breathed life into humanity a long, long time ago. And whether that was through an evolutionary process or just a bing, bang, boom kind of a thing, I don't know. That's up for somebody else to decide. But we were made in the image of God, and God's breath is in us. Amen? So having said that, because God's breath is in us, we're not perfect. We are not God. <laughs> but we also get to give God's breath to others and share God's love and God's forgiveness with others. So what we're going to do is, like we've said each week during our, um, see, they love each other, during our, <laughs> during, during our prayers of confession, we've said, forgive us sinners. And this morning, what we'll do, Deborah, come do this with me. Well, I'll practice. Well, you don't have to touch. Okay. That was the thing. I said, maybe I'll have people touch. And somebody said, no, Deborah said. Really <laughs> touch? Yeah, really touch. Okay. So you don't have to touch, but okay. you can touch me right now because it's like we're getting married and it helps. Okay. Because <laughs> I love you. So we're all going to say to each other, forgive me a sinner. God forgives. Yes. Forgive me a sinner. And then I will say, God forgives. God forgives. Amen. Yeah. And so... In the Greek Orthodox Church, they cross themselves. They, 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 they have a very specific way that it works. The Catholics do it differently, too. You don't have to cross yourself, but it is one way of recognizing that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit dwell within you and within the person who you're interacting with. Um, so, um, yeah. We're going to move around. So, so the idea is that every, so like in our prayer of, um, what's it called? Jabez? No. No. No, in the, in the, in the, in the adapted Lord's Prayer, um, it says, forgiveness will flow like a river from each one to each one. This is our prayer. We're just going to practice this today to see if maybe this is what life could be like. Um, right? I think it'll be really special. So I'm going to invite everybody to stand up. If you can't stand and you need to sit, you can, so Josh, you can be on the end. And if some, if Pat wants to, she can come. And she can be on the other end. So we're all going to come close. Yeah, so like, so it's like square dancing. Find somebody to face you. Face, face someone. Or is there, was there, wait, was there a better way to do this? Okay. Heather had a good idea. Hold on. Well, so we're going to, everybody's going to move one to the left. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. We got we got some stragglers. Well, if we're an odd number, if we're an odd number, I will jump in. If we're if we're an, if we're an odd number, I'll jump out. Either way, right? Right? Yeah. See, I hear you, Jen. Um, and then so we tried this the other night, and there was like the people on the ends. So I was gonna stand on the end in case there's an awkward number, and then I think Josh was also gonna stand on the end, but he's in the middle. So are you gonna do the end with me? <laughs> the end is awesome. Okay. So, James, can you go stand next to the man in the plaid shirt? Oh, he was? Does somebody not have a partner? Kelsey, okay, so, wait. Hold on. People are moving. Okay. Ari, you can come over here with Josh. You all are going to move. Everybody's going to talk to everybody. Okay. If you can hear my voice, clap once. If you can hear, <laughs> this is, and I'm so bad at that game. Okay, everybody, raise your hand if you don't have a partner. If you do not, Kelsey needs a partner, so I'm gonna be Kelsey's partner. No, wait. Are you guys even? Well, because I, okay, Brad, can you go stand by Kelsey? Okay, and then James, you and me, yeah, we'll handle the ends. Okay, so let's all say this together. I will say, forgive me a sinner, and you say God forgives. Forgive me a sinner. God forgives. That felt really nice. Um, and then you all say, forgive me a sinner. Forgive me a sinner. God forgives. Okay, so we're going to say that to one another. Um, and, and again, at the end of it, if you want to cross yourself just to let the people know next to you that you've finished, what's going to happen is, why is that funny? Every time? Well, so yeah, so it's like a chain. You're going to rotate. So remember, this is a circle. So nobody here is going to cross. James, you're going to end up moving, right? Inner circle moves. Inner, no, everyone moves. So, so after the first time, I meant to tell the kids to like to to have a runner to make sure we were done. So it's gonna be awkward when the kids come in. But so, everybody ready? After the first time, you everyone will move left. So you'll take a step to the left. So around the curve on the end, Dawn is gonna curve left. Oh. Okay. And at the end of this, well, yeah, and then, so yeah, so okay, hold on, hold on. Is everybody ready? Yes. So, so just remember to be attentive to the people next to you. If you'd like to touch the person, that might, if you want to hold hands with somebody, there's hand sanitizer somewhere. I'm sure somebody has them in their purse. Yes. Well, you're, yes. But so the, the people at the ends will, will be the people who, like, at the, the, the skip should eventually get resolved at the end because we're going to stay at the ends. Yes. Yes. So, okay. 
So, so don't, so don't skip a person, just scoot over. I was going to say, if, exactly, if you realize you missed somebody, just go talk to them. It's not going to be so hard. So uh, let's try this. You're going to stand with me and then we'll move. So we're going to start. Go. God forgives. Forgive me, a sinner. Thanks. So then we'll go to our circles, uh, and then forgive me, God forgives. Oh, are you gonna up? No. Forgive me, a sinner. God forgives. Oh wait, okay. <laughs> forgive me, a sinner. God forgives. Forgive me, a sinner. God forgives. So then you get to go back in there, and James, you can stay on the end if you want, or I'll bounce back and forth. Yeah. So you can keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I would be on the end. Oh. Okay. Forgive me a sinner. God forgives. Megan, I'll just take the end person. Forgive me a sinner. Forgive me a sinner. God forgives. I'm just gonna switch up. I'm just gonna. Yeah. So yeah, you'll. I'll do it with you, and then you'll go around. No, you do. Yeah. Yeah. Forgive me a sinner. God forgives. Forgive me a sinner. God forgives. Amen. Thanks. Um, so again, Malachi invites us, Malachi, God's messenger, invites the people of God to be reconciled to one another and to be reconciled to God. So we do this work together. It's not because God needs us to do this work. But it's because this is how we get close to God, because God is in us, because you were made in the image of God. Amen. Don't forget that this week. Amen. We're going to get this. Um, there's a story about a woman who, uh, at the end of a sermon, she had talked about forgiveness. She was a... Uh, in a concentration camp, and she had gotten out, many of her family had died, and she is at a church, and she kind of greets everyone and kind of saying goodbye, but then this man comes up to her who she knew, she remembered him as one of the worst guards in the concentration camp. She had watched him torture her family members, and at the end, he said, he came up to her and he said, I'm a Christian now, and I have been waiting I've been waiting for God to bring someone to me who I have harmed so that I could ask them for their forgiveness. And he said, will you forgive me? And she's like, I don't think I can do this. And she tells the story of how she doesn't think she can forgive him. And so she says, this has to be from God. So she prays that God will forgive him. And she says, yes, I forgive you and touches him, and she said that in that moment when she reached out and touched him, she felt something, the Spirit of God move in her from her chest all the way out to her arm to touch this man who had committed pretty, pretty terrible crimes against her family. And so I think one of the things that Malachi talks a lot about is the evildoers being reconciled to the people of God, and that's hard. That's really hard for me to imagine. Um, 
But if we can practice forgiving each other, then maybe we can imagine what God sees and we can see that God wants all people brought back to God's self. And so this table is about that. This table um, represents the night that Jesus was arrested. He wasn't just betrayed. He was taken by the police and put into prison to go toward his death. And this table that we celebrate helps us remember that we break the bread, not because it's delicious bread, although it is, I'm sure. It's really warm and it smells good, and I can't eat it. <laughs> but Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed to his arrest, took the bread, oh, and he broke it. And that was like unleavened bread. It wasn't nearly as nice as this. He said, this bread, this is my body, broken for you. Whenever you eat together, all of you, and he had just finished telling them that someone was going to betray him. Whenever you eat together, do this in remembrance of me. And this week, as we move into Holy Week, some of us will be practicing, will be guests at a Passover service at someone's house. And we'll break, we'll break bread and we'll recognize that this is the bread of affliction. This is the bread that represents the slavery of the people of Israel that God freed them from. So when we break the bread today, we do it in remembrance of the one whose body was broken for the sins of the world. And then he took the cup. They were all getting close to being drunk by that time because you drink several cups at Passover. And so he took the cup and he said, he poured it out and shared it. Because there's always enough at God's table. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. And he prayed that his father would give him strength, and that his father would be present. And today we pray that the Holy Spirit will be with us and guide us and teach us what forgiveness means as we eat God's body, as we eat the body of Christ and drink the blood of Christ and go out into the world renewed by the Holy Spirit.